The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Passage of John chapter 13 where we saw Judas set in motion the betrayal. We've seen Peter argue with the Lord about his rejecting him or denying him. And there's a lot of turmoil going on. In fact, the title of the message is An Answer for for Troubled Times. Because in the world we live in today, turmoil and trials are an everyday occurrence. Some of us struggle with many difficult things, some things people don't even know about. Others struggle openly with very, very deep waters. And every now and then, in our case, in, in in our church, we have a family who has been through some tough times, but God has done amazing things. And once one such family is the droughts, and I'd like them to come up right now if they would, because I want to give them an opportunity to share what God has done in their troubles and kind of set the stage as, as we move forward uh, in our message this morning. Come on up, guys. Good morning, everyone. Um, I, I'm not sure that our troubles outweigh anybody else's, um, but I think it just goes along with Craig's message. So he wanted us to do to do this and to let you know. And I wanted to let you know how awesome God is, and and has been in our life. Um, most of you know that I am a stay-at-home mom, and uh, we do homeschool. And four years ago, the Lord told me very clearly, we're going to do foster care. Yes, sir. He's the boss, so foster care we did, and we still do. And um, and uh, anyway, so one year ago, Carter Ben and Tori, Carter Ben and Tori. By the way, the little one is not just yet a drought, but don't tell her. Um, so Carter Ben and Tori, they all decided to follow Jesus and get baptized and trust Him with their lives. And on September twenty second. Everything changed. Um, Matt woke up at about 4 a.m. dizzy. He couldn't walk. He couldn't drive. He couldn't work. Uh, Also on that day, um, we got a phone call about Kaylee, the little one, um, for her adoption papers. Come sign her adoption papers. And I got a call from my doctor saying that he needed me to come in to see. He wanted to see me, talk to me about something. Um, By the end of that week, My husband, who was our sole support, still could not walk, could not drive, could not work. I not only had a procedure, but was biopsied because they found something. And I knew very clearly that my kids had to go to school. Most of you, that's fine. But my heart was broken. The day that they started school was exactly, exactly September 29th, one year from their baptism. That was amazing to me in that it was as if God was so gently saying, you said you trusted me. Come on, you can do this. The school was awesome. Everybody was welcoming. We actually knew one of the teachers. Over the course of these last three months, I, I actually, I came to church that Sunday. That whole, week, the whole first week happened. I came to church that Sunday volunteering for Awana and by the way, if you have kids, 
your kids should be in Awana because Awana is awesome. It just is. But um, I was a horrible volunteer that night because I couldn't stop crying. My world had completely fallen apart, and I cried all over every Awana worker that I could find. Thank you, by the way. Um, and they just embraced me and prayed with me and prayed for all of us. And I just, I can't tell you how blessed we are to have this church as our family that God gave you guys to us. But, and I want to name all of you, but I can't because it's his glory. It all belongs to him, all of it. So anyway, over the, over the course of the last three months, Matt's doing much better. The kids are adjusting. The adoption goes through here on the 17th. I have a job. I actually was able to get a job in that time. I work at the Ohio State University. Um, three months with no paycheck. Our car got hit. Our van got hit. Our car broke down twice. Our washing machine, seven, there were seven people in our house that time. Our washing machine died. And the Lord just kept providing. I don't know how he did it. I have no idea. Not one bill was missed. Nothing. He was so amazing. He is so amazing. And it's not over because we're not dead. But I just wanted to say thank you because he's so awesome. I don't know how I can follow that except that um, I was going to pull a piece of paper out here and stick to a script, but I'll keep it real short. Um, talked in our uh, Sunday school class this morning um, about this and um, really we, we talked about the difference between happiness and joy and I know that uh, Craig's going to talk about joy today um, but uh, there's a vast difference and uh, happiness if you tie um, your hopes or um, your success um, or anything like that to, to happiness. Happiness is a feeling that's fleeting. Um, but when, it's, when you're rooted in that joy, the peace that passes understanding, um, then you can be happy, you can be sad. In my case, you can be depressed. Um, you can go through all these things and it's real. Jesus, uh, you know, towards the end of, the, of, of John um, with his disciples here, says, you're going to weep. You're going to be upset. This is going to be huge upheaval for you. And he didn't say, don't do, you know, just pretend it's not happening. Don't be um, upset about it. He said, you're going to be. And we went through a lot, and a lot of crying and uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, it's not like we sat around with <laughs> our faces covered in, in uh, you know, dirt and dour with nothing at the house or anything. We still have fun and stuff like that. But there were a lot of questioning, uh, questioning moments in our life. And we, um, we found ourselves even more deeply rooted in the joy that, uh, that God provides through Jesus. So troubles. God is working mightily, and I thought it would be interesting for you to hear how he, what he's doing in this family. 
as they learn to surrender more. And you know, the disciples are in a very same situation because they have left everything. Three years earlier, when Jesus called them to be his disciples, they walked away from their careers, they walked away from their livelihood, and they followed this man. And for three years, they've watched miracle after miracle, amazing things. They've heard him preach about the kingdom and, they've, and about the salvation to come and all these wonderful things. Now, all of a sudden, he tells them he's going away. And this is very troubling. I mean, so troubling that, that Peter is arguing about it. You, you can't leave. I'll go with you wherever you go. And later on, we're going to hear Thomas. <coughs> Thomas is going to say the same thing. Look, where are you going? And there's going to be this struggle, and they're troubled. And because of the difficulty and the disarray, Jesus begins chapter 14 with this. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, what are we to do when the world comes crashing in? What are we really to do when the news isn't good? Now, this is a very important question because life is full of, full of troubles. Disappointment, fears, misunderstandings, dangers are all part of life. <clears throat> Far too often we... We orchestrate our lives based on how we're able to stay away from sin and think we live in this little cocoon and we're okay, but we cannot stop the troubles that come in. And when something does go wrong, we immediately think something's been blown. Either we've blown it or someone else has blown it. In fact, probably in one of the most amazing Psalms is Psalm 42, where we find David arguing with himself. And listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Trust God. Why are you struggling? Why aren't you buying into this, my soul? And he's having this turmoil and this argument because he knows God's in control. He knows God loves him. He he knows God is leading him. Yet he's struggling within his own heart. Ever been there? This is exactly the turmoil we see. We want to be successful, but we experience failures. We want to be liked, but often people at best are indifferent to us. We're also disappointed with other people. They don't measure up to the standards that we have set for them, or they fail us in some way. Circumstances, too, are a source of trouble. In some cases, we can do something about circumstances, And we try to, but this is not always so. Poverty cannot always always be changed. The loss of a loved one is devastating and nothing can be done about it. So is the loss of a job or sickness or uncertainty about the future. And what about spiritual troubles? When it seems as though the Lord's presence has been withdrawn from us and we're all alone and we find ourselves in what has been called the dark night the soul. What are we to do in such circumstances? Well, our text 
calls us to focus on God. He begins, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, that sounds good until you're the one in trouble. And what is he saying? How is he telling these disciples not to be troubled? And how is he telling you and I not to be troubled? The first point I want us to see here is really brought on because there's this Pollyanna view of Christianity by by many people. My first point is troubles are real. I mean, let's, let's just say it straight out. Some Christians ascribe to a Christianity that presents this idea that if you have enough faith and you trust God enough, you're not going to have problems. They take Romans 8.28 to mean that only good things come to those who are called. In fact, (laughs) Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But what the verse is saying here in actuality is that evil indeed will come, but God's purposes will be accomplished in spite of it. And that's what we need to understand. This view is, to any other view, is unrealistic and uninformed because evil does exist. Troubles do come. So rather than deny these things, we must begin by a realistic recognition of them. And this is what prompted Christ to make this statement because he knew fear and calamity was coming. But not only that, if you think back in John chapter 13... Jesus has just told all the disciples what's about to happen. He's just warned them about everything that is coming. And he says in chapter 13, verse 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Now, was this not unusual and troubling in itself? I mean, can you imagine the disciples seeing their mainstay? the one who stilled the raging seas, the one who made the lame walk, the one who healed the blind, the one who fed 5,000 with just a few fishes and loaves, and he's troubled? So the disciples have every right to be troubled. And you and I do too. Too often when someone comes to us and they're downcast because of a problem, we try to soothe them by saying, oh, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Oh, I've known people that had it worse than you, and they're okay. We really want to hear that, don't we, when we're struggling? Nothing is gained by minimizing trouble. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So there is a realness to trouble. There is a realness for you and I to get a good grasp on the fact that troubles are going to come. And sometimes they happen because of poor choices, but other times they happen completely out of our control. But here's where we start to find out the switch here. A greater cause not to be troubled. We must be realistic about our problems, and at the same time, however, we must be realistic about the the power and the promises of God. And this means that although there is cause to be troubled, there is even a greater cause not to be troubled. So what are the reasons not to be troubled? 
Well, I want to give you four this morning that are found right here in our text. And they make application no matter what kind of deep waters you're in. Number one, we know Jesus. We know Jesus. He's God. He knows about us and our circumstances. He is able to deal with them. Therefore, there is every reason to trust him. Jesus indicates this when he issues the challenge, believe in God, believe also in me. So the first reason the disciples were not to be troubled was that they knew Jesus. They knew everything he had done. They had been with him through all these experiences. They had witnessed all these things. And this is the very one who is telling them not to be troubled. We should have more reason to trust than the disciples did. Why? Because they stood on the far side of the resurrection. They didn't know, as we know, that the crucifixion was going to be salvation and also the resurrection that was shortly following it. We know we have a Savior who is in control of all things. And even the things that you're going through right now, he has his hand on every aspect of it. And that's why you and I need to comfort one another with these words to know that Jesus Christ is in control. And that's why you heard the droughts in the midst of all these difficulties be able to praise God because he's the one working through it. It would be a different story if you and I had to work through it on our own. But he is the one that's working through it. Number two, we have a home in heaven. We have a home in heaven. Now think of that. We have a place prepared for us in heaven. I have a place prepared for me. You have a place prepared for you. I don't know what that means. Maybe in mine there'll be reruns of last night's game. I don't know. Say I get that in there. But there is a place being prepared for you. Think about that. Now it's comforting to know that no matter how hard this life is, we know where we're going to going and we know that there is even a prepared place for my eternity. And and many may say that this is escapism or a pie-in-the-sky attitude. And it can be in an unrealistic way. But reality is the place is real. And it's prepared for all those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Paul explained it this way in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. He said, Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. Now, let me just stop there for a second. When Paul says, join in imitating me, can you say that to people around you? You want to get through this life? Just imitate me. That's really what Paul is saying because he was sold out to Christ. But here's the key I want you to notice. He says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have seen in us. Now, let me just pause here for a second and say this. There are some who must walk through deep waters as examples of true character. It's easy to see Jesus in those whose life is smooth. But it's quite different to see see Christ in those who are in the midst of the storm. And if God has permitted you to be in a storm, 
I believe it's because he knows he can trust you and that he will be glorified through it. And that's a real strength. He goes on to say in verse 18, For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. One sidebar here. The more your mind is set on this earth, the harder the troubles will hit you. Let me say that again. The more your mind is aimed at the things of this earth, the harder the troubles will hit you. But to verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand that even though this world is all we know right now, it's just a passing point. It's a stopping point for eternity. And when you and I can view this life with eternity's values in view, we have the ability to go through all kinds of things because this is not where we're planning to stay forever. John also speaks of this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when it, he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So when your heart is in Jesus and your treasures are in heaven, you purify yourself because your heart is in the able hands of a pure Savior. And the things of this world don't encompass you. They don't overcome you. They don't dictate to you. They don't guide what you do. The Lord Jesus does through his spirit. And all these things pale away. When you know where your home is, and when you know where you're heading, it puts everything in perspective. Let me give you this statement. To know our destiny is a great incentive, not only for the enjoyment of peace in the midst of turmoil, but for godly living as well. This kind of heavenly focus gets you through turmoils, but guides you in godly living. But there's also something else here that I think bears mentioning. We kind of touched on it before. He, he said he is going to prepare a place. That means when Jesus went back to heaven, he had work to do. And some of that work was the preparation of your eternal place. Now just let that sink in for a minute. God has prepared a place he has executed it. He has put it together. It's got your name on it, and it's being reserved for you in glory. If you meditate on that long enough and realize what is ahead for you, that ought to motivate all of us to know that a carefully thought-out, planned, eternal place awaits us. That would give you goosebumps if you're thinking about it long enough. Now, the third and fourth reasons I should probably give them together. So here they are. Number three, Jesus is returning again for those he has left behind. He is coming back for us. And four, from that point on, we will be with him forever. Now, when Jesus went back to heaven, he sent us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming with fire. 
Jesus said, you will do greater works than me because I'm sending you a comforter. And the whole purpose here is when Jesus was on earth, he dealt with 12 men in a very small region. But by indwelling all believers with the Holy Spirit, we go into all the world and preach the gospel. And we can touch the whole world for Jesus Christ. And the exciting part is, is after the Spirit came, from that point on, every time somebody accepts Jesus Christ, they get the Holy Spirit. So if you're here this morning and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the divine helper dwelling within you to guide you into all truth. That's an amazing thing. And that's what Jesus did. But what Jesus is speaking of here is when we are welcomed back into his presence to dwell with him forever. Oh, what a day that will be. This is what Paul described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of the command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then they who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's just an amazing glory. And how does Paul follow up this amazing thing in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4? Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, comfort one another with these words. Listen, when you come along somebody who's struggling, you got to listen. You got to let them go. They got to vent. They got to work through it. But you can put their arm around and say, but, but guess what? Jesus. He's coming for you. So let's, let's work through this together. How can I help? How can we comfort and get you through this? Because he's coming. He's not going to leave you in this turmoil. He's not going to leave you in this downcast situation. Now, let me go back to the question I started the message with. What are we to do when our world comes crashing in? What are we really to do when the news is not good? The answer is to grab these great truths, meditate on them, and ask the Lord to do his work through our hearts, knowing that his will will be done. At the middle of a trial, at the beginning of a trial, we can't see the forest for the trees. But when you allow the Spirit to work and you meditate on His Word and you begin to see that I'm going somewhere and this is something that God is going to work through me, it is life-changing. So when you let God do His perfect work in the trial that He let through, by the way, God will be glorified and you will be used in a way that will touch others for God's glory. Let me, let me share powerful verse for you because one of the things that I need we all need to understand is that when we anchor ourselves into the word of God even though the winds blow violently our roots are strong and we're held there Jeremiah chapter 17 verses 7 through 8 listen to this blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose trust the Lord is for he shall be like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the streams, 
uh, and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it's it's of any excuse me, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now I'm not a biology expert by any means, but when winds blow and trees are stressed, they drive their roots deeper. When there's not much water, the roots go deeper. And the deeper the roots get, the stronger the tree is. And this is describing a tree that's right near a river, and its roots go deep, and they go to the water, and when there's a drought all around, its leaves are still green. And that's the life God has called each one of us to. That in the midst of a dark, dry, parched desert of a world, you and I can stand there with great green foliage and be a wonderful example of the power of Jesus Christ. Keep trusting and therefore keep producing. They go hand in hand. Now, message is short this morning, but I wanted to emphasize this. And what I'm going to do now is I want you to listen very carefully to a song that's going to play right now. Because you may be in a position where you have got to just empty yourself to God. And you just have to say, Lord, I need to have this kind of faith. I need to have this kind of trust. I need to not worry in the midst of these troubles. And maybe he's going to speak to you here. I don't know. But if he is, as this song is playing, and you'd like to just come and pray and and ask the Lord to to deal with that, please feel free during the song and ask the men to come and be prepared for communion. But otherwise, prepare your hearts for communion while this song is playing. Okay. 
troubles are real, Lord. The depth of our heart is sometimes more than we're able to bear. But you said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And Lord, I pray for these who have come and and for those in the congregation who are just hanging on to you, Lord. I pray that you would give them the depth and the strength will allow you to work through it, that Jesus Christ might be glorified and each heart strengthened. And now as we come to the table and celebrate the reality of your death on the cross and that it did make the clarity that earth has no troubles, that heaven can't cure. And we know, Lord, through the word of God, and through your teaching that you allow difficulties for your glory and to build us to the men and women you want us to be. As we now partake of this table, Lord, may we just be reminded of that amazing grace 
2,000 years ago, when you came, you left. The disciples were troubled. But you went to that cross and you died. But you rose again. And you defeated the grave. And you defeated every trial and difficulty that comes into our lives. May we just surrender to you and allow your perfect will to do. In Jesus' name, amen. received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And Matthew tells us that after they ate, they went out and they sang a hymn. So let's all stand and join hands as of our custom. thankful, Lord, that earth has no troubles that heaven cannot cure. And Lord, I just pray that you would go with us today with strength and power, particularly in this season where we celebrate you coming to this earth to work the plan that would lead all of us to eternity with you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that you would not let them rest until they find that peace in you. Bless as I pray today in Christ's name. 